friends, I uh, find that I like movies from before I went to college. I think when I got to college, I just um, got too busy and stopped watching films. And I feel a little bit bad. All of my all of my illustrative material for movies is all like from 2006. I did a I did a sermon not long ago where I said, "You guys, have you guys seen the new movie, The Hobbit?" And I got to YouTube and Maddie Eisenbrand, I don't know if she's here, she was like, Sam, that's not a new movie, dude. <laughs> so forgive me for this one. Um, how many of you have seen Stranger Than Fiction? Okay, good, we got, we got a few. So Will Ferrell, he's a young Will Ferrell. I was like looking, I was like, whoa, he looks so young. Um, Will Ferrell is living his life and all of a sudden he starts hearing a narrator speak over his life. And he's like, oh, why is someone speaking my story. What is, what is going on? He, he freaks out and he finds a, a literary um, person and then they try and figure out if this um, author is given more towards tragedy or comedy because that's going to be really important for the rest of his life. They find it's tragedy and uh, it's a really, really touching movie in some ways um, and also kind of fun, funny because Will Ferrell's just funny. I love Will Ferrell movies. But um, Will Ferrell's walking around and he's hearing the voice of a narrator. When I think of um, Jesus and his walk, the things he does, it's so fascinating. In some ways, guys, there's a narrator for Jesus. It's the Old Testament. It's the prophetic books. It's this whole story, this messianic promise that's coming. That's coming. And so as Jesus is doing things, where he goes, who he goes to see, who he cares for, even on Palm Sunday, the day that we are celebrating, as Jesus is coming in, he's following a script. He's following a script, a, a guideline for his own life. The Old Testament works in this way for Jesus, and in a beautiful way, all that was written was for our benefit too, so that we can also partake in the story. I love the church calendar because it reminds me to partake in the story of Christ, whether it's this week and the, the season of Lent where we're um, fasting or mourning and think, reflecting on our own sin, or this week where we have the, the joy and the exuberation of Jesus coming in, the hope of that, and then this coming week where we experience not only the death and the sorrow of his death, but his resurrection. Man, it's a good two weeks to be at church. Not because I'm preaching but because of what the Lord has done. Um, one of the things that we see in the Jesus coming into the city is joy and exuberance, hope, excitement. And, it, and I think that that joy and exuberance is there because of the fulfillment of what, is, what was coming. Um, if you would, in your Bibles, turn to page 1,479. There are a lot of pages in the Bible. Um, those are your pew Bibles. This is Zechariah chapter 9. Our sermon text is going to be the whole chapter of Zechariah 9. Uh, that's where we're going to be looking. And as you guys flip there, I'm going to give you some brief context. This section of Zechariah 9 through uh, 12, I want to say, the end of the book, is the most cited section of the Old Testament in the Passion Narratives. So you have four Passion Narratives in the Gospel they tear Zechariah 9 to 12 up. They're just taking all kinds of stuff. Jesus is using 
Zechariah 9 as kind of his script to walk into Holy Week, to walk into Jerusalem, to go about his way. So if you want to walk with the Lord, make it a, a practice this week of reading through these chapters and seeing what our Lord and Savior does. It's an exciting couple of chapters. But there's a context for Zechariah 9, and I'm going to name it for you. So Israel, um, uh, you know, they, they have the exodus where they come out of the land of Egypt. They're slaves. They've been delivered by God. They get into this land that God gives them, and then the Lord says, now live for me in this covenant. And what do they do? They do what human beings always do, what we do, what anyone else does. They turn from the covenant. They turn from the Lord, and they start living and serving some other gods. And so the Lord says, hey, turn back to me. And he sends the prophets to tell them to turn back, and they never do. And then, so he sends them into exile. And in exile, um, uh, enemy nations come, and they sack Jerusalem in, uh, oh, I want to say 586. 586 B.C. They sacked Jerusalem. <laughs> Christine McDonald's like, yep, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. you. She rocks. Um, like they, they come, and they sack Jerusalem. And then they take the survivors, what is known as a remnant. And remnant is a very important word in this text. It's a word of hope. They take a remnant, remnant back um, with them into Babylon. Now Babylon gets sacked by the Persians. And per the king of Persia sends the exiles, the remnant, back to the land. And it's a great return. But when they get back to the land, here's the things that are gone. There's no more temple. There's no more city walls. There's no more structure. And I want, to just, I want you guys just to think for a moment about structureless living. Uh, Tim Keller, right as COVID was hitting, he did this study on, I think it was Psalm 11. But he talked about the structures and the institutions of, this, of the country kind of being shaken as we were all sent into quarantine and isolation. And we couldn't gather for church. And we couldn't gather for community groups. And we couldn't gather in ways that we were. And the challenge of it and the, and the, the, the masking and, and hiding of our faces, which was for good reason, right? We had, this, we had this plague among us. And we didn't know how to handle it. And all of the institutions of our country seemed to be shaken at the core. Think about how hard it was for, I mean, for parents continuing to try and walk in, in, in the ways of Christ, continuing to try to be part of the, of the flow of the, of the New Testament call of worship. We weren't able to meet. And I know how difficult it was to get my kids to want to watch a service. It was well nigh impossible, right? Like, like it, was, it was disastrous. Asher would just run around, and we would, Kel and I would try and watch and follow. Um, like, the lack of ability to come and meet together, the lack of ability to encourage one another. We had this kind of feeling. The institutions falling around us. Well, as these exiles go back in the same way, there's no ritual anymore. Everything's destroyed. They're rebuilding, and they're going back essentially in a power vacuum. It's the wild, the wild west in uh, Jerusalem right now. There are no walls to protect them. There's no institution to like, uh, help them process religious faith. There's no temple to offer sacrifices. There's no worship. And it's in that context that Zechariah starts preaching. And they're enemies of Israel, and they're trying to bribe other kings, and they're trying to bribe 
um, the leaders of Israel into wicked things. It's just a chaotic mess. There's also a lot of hope because here we are back in the land, but we're struggling and we're fighting and it's like clawing away. Not only that, there's also a drought. There's natural disasters. Goodness gracious, guys. Natural disaster, a lack of getting together, a lack of worship. What does that do to you? you some of you know it. We've experienced it, whether it's been in this, in this community, whether it's been through floods or something else. How, like, when the culture around you, when the, the, the guideposts of your life crumble, what do you do? Well, Zechariah comes with hope in chapter 9. Are you guys ready? Let's read this text. Are you all there? That was a very long amount of time to get you to that page. <laughs> Probably unnecessarily long. The word of the Lord is against, oh, an oracle. The word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and will rest upon Damascus. For the eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord and upon Hamath too, which borders on it, and upon, Ty and upon Tyre and Sidon. Though they are very skillful, Tyre has built herself a stronghold. She has heaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirt of the streets. But the Lord will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea, and she will be consumed by fire. Ashkelon will see it in fear. Gaza will writhe in agony, and Ekron too, for her hope will wither. Gaza will lose her king, and Ashkelon will be deserted. Foreigners will occupy Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take the blood of their mouths and the forbidden food from between their teeth. Those who are left will belong to our God. Those who are left, that's a remnant, who are left will belong to our God and become leaders in Judah, and Ekron will be like the Jebusites. But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, Gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will, be, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from waterless pits. Return to your fortress, O prisoner of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. And I will arouse your, son, arouse your sons against sons of Greece, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrows will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south. And the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome the sling stones. They will drink the, and roar as with wine. They will be full like a bowl used for, the sprinkling, the cor for, the, for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them on that day as the flock of his people. They will sparkle on his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they are. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women let's. Go. It's strange. It's strange. This is Old Testament text. If that was not easy for you to listen to or, or read, that's okay. We've got a lot of weirdness in here. We're going to unpack some of it. So 
We're going to break this passage down into three sections, and we're going to draw main points from all three sections. One main point per section, which is kind of normal for how we do things here. Um, the first section will be the first eight, uh, seven, eight verses. Um, and if, from there, we're going to look at our God as a restoring God, a restoring God. And then we're going to look at his coming into salvation, coming into Jerusalem as being the God of salvation, our king of restoration, our king of redemption and salvation, and our king of glory in the end, when he rides on and we follow with him. That's what we're doing here. So the first um, eight verses, you get a lot of cities. Now, these spaces are very important spaces in um, Old Testament history. How many of you guys, this is a little bit childish, I'm sorry. David and Goliath, you know, you guys know that story. Goliath, yeah, thank you. <laughs> the, the Goliath is a Philistine. You have the southern cities in this um, store, in this uh, prophecy, Ekron, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gaza, those are Philistine spaces. Think of Goliath, the ultimate enemy of Israel, right? Who says, hey, you child are like a dog. And David says, you come at me with swords and spears, but I come at you with the living God, right? The showdown of the enemy of, the, of, of Israel, the historic enemy. Up in the north, you have Tyre and Sidon. They're up north on the seacoast. Then you have Damascus and Hadrach and Hamat way up high, and you have the word of the Lord coming through them, and he's traveling from north to south, north to south. Now, geography lesson, Cindy's going to preach, Cindy loves the geography stuff. On the, on the east of the land of Israel is desert, impassable desert. The only people that come through there are the Bedouins and those who, who travel in tents. In the south, more desert except for along the coast, which has Egypt, this major superpower into the south. In the north, you have the Euphrates River. And along that Euphrates, that's an, that's an access zone for enemy nations to come down and fight. So when you have judgment or enemies coming to the land of Israel, they're almost always named as coming from the north. Terror from the north. The, the war wheel, the war wagon from the north that's coming down and driving through. In Amos chapter 1, which is another prophetic text that very much aligns with this, you have um, the Lord saying, hey, these northern nations, for your sins and transgressions, I am bringing judgment. And he gets closer and closer and closer to the promised land of Israel. And then he says, for Judah and for Israel, for these transgressions, I'm coming. So when you have the Lord on his war march, it's not normally good news from the north. It's scary news. Here he comes. And he's bringing judgment in his wake. It's important as we think about God's warrior element, his judgment element, to remember that evil is real. These nations get described in verse 8. Let me read that. I will, but I will defend my house against marauding forces Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. Oppression in the Old Testament idea, in the Old Testament vibes, is like treading over, abuse, crushing, smashing. Some of you know this experience. Those who oppress are cruel. They hurt. They crush. 
they tread, they walk over, they march over, they keep rolling you down, they beat you up, either verbally or um, uh, physically. If you ever had a bully at school that you're just terrified to see, maybe I've, I'm, like a peop- I'm a people pleaser. I got chewed out by my neighbor one time because I parked in front of his house. I just didn't ever want to see him again. I just wanted to hide from him. And it made, it, dre- it made me dread having people over because I didn't want them to park in his, in his front yard and then I'd have to see him again because he'd have to be yelling at me on my porch. I'm just like, please, God, do, don't. I'll move the car. I'll move the car. Please stop. You guys know what it feels like to be tread over and oppressed. Evil is real. And when the war horse comes from the north to crush the oppressor, to crush those who oppressed his people, it's scary news. It's harsh news. But judgment is good. I have a, a quote from Elizabeth Axemeyer. She says, Evil must be actively resisted and done away with. It does not disappear by itself. Hitler's must be made to cease. Their holocausts, the Hitler's must be made to cease their holocausts. Civil rights must be guaranteed by the force of law. Someone has got to break the swords and, the, and fashion the spears into pruning hooks. But by testifying that God is the divine warrior, the Bible is saying that the ultimate destruction of evil belongs to him. And so he rides from the north and he heads to Jerusalem. It's often a scary picture. But in verse 7, or verse 8, he says, But I will defend my house. I will camp and lay down at Jerusalem, or at Jude, in in my house, against the marauding forces. Never again will they oppress or overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. The God who sees is looking. He's looking. He's seeing. Think of Hagar the servant of um, Sarai who has to flee and run. And she's in the desert and she's dying. And the Lord comes and saves her. And she names him the God who sees. When you have God seeing, it's a sign of his redemption, of his hope, of his life. And the people of Israel receive it. But so oddly, someone else does. Look at verse 7. And the language is so weird, I had to be like three commentaries to figure out what this is talking about. I will take the blood from their mouths and the forbidden food from between their teeth. And those who are left will belong to our God and become leaders in Judah. And Ekron will be like the Jebusites. Following the destructive pattern of the Lord moving south, moving south from the north. He says, but the remnants of those that are left from my ride, I will cleanse. He's calling the nations into his own community. He's calling the people that were once part of the oppressive nations. He's cleansing them and making them new. It's the good news of the gospel that what the Lord is doing in Jerusalem will blast out further. He's re-strengthening his group. I'm going to do it to you guys. I'm going to bring up Narnia. It's the easiest low fruit for a sermon illustration. Forgive me. But we have a lion out here, and it's just too perfect. All right? You have the, if you haven't read Narnia, which... <laughs> The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe specifically. You have these four kids that kind of crawl through a wardrobe, and they're all of a sudden in a different world. It's covered in snow and winter. And they start meeting weird characters in this new world. Beavers that talk, a fawn, different, different characters. 
and they start having relationships with these people. And everywhere they go, they start hearing this mantra. Aslan is on the move. It's winter here. The enemy queen is, is, is putting us in suffering, but Aslan is on the move. And as Aslan gets closer, the wintry curse starts to lift. And oh man, I was so ready for that wintry curse here to lift this year. Like, come on, spring. And as, Jesus, as, as Aslan is walking closer and closer to the, the place of battle, spring bursts. And summer is at full peak. As Aslan is coming, the, wi the, the will and the evil of the witch is, is receding. She can't fight him off, and his power is overcoming all. And then he gets to his place, and just like here, he sits down. And when he sits down with those lambs, Greg says this all the time, think of our play garden. Those lambs couldn't be more safe. There's nothing that's going to touch those lambs because the lion has come and sat down with his people. That's what's being talked about in verse 8. I will defend my house. I will sit down and lay down and defend my people. The Lord is on his war march. He's heading in. And in that sense, you get verse 9, which is Palm Sunday's heroic ride. You ready? Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you. Rejoice greatly, O daughter. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here he comes. The oppressor has been defeated in the locality. He's drawn them to himself, and now he steps into the scene, and it is shouting and jubilation. One time I went mountain biking with Tommy and um, a bunch of Eisenbrons. And Tommy Leary, guys, can really ride. He's good. He's really good. And he can jump. He can jump his bike. I can't jump my bike. He can jump his bike. And uh, my sensei, Tommy, was training me how to jump. And we were going down the same hill over and over and over again so I could try and hit this jump. And I finally, after like 12 times, I don't know how many times it was, Tommy was leading me. I felt my back tire leave the ground, which meant I was airborne, which meant I hit the jump. And as I was in the air, everything tensed in a good way. I was just like, oh, I'm flying. You know, a whole new world. Here we go. I'm on a magic carpet ride, and it's on my bike, and I just made it happen. I was so pumped. My, when my back tire hit the ground and I landed the jump, I screamed so loud that everyone in the park could hear it. I won't, I won't give an example because it would be bad and I don't know if I can re reanimate myself. I yelled so loud and then I was whooping and hollering. I couldn't control myself. I like pulled up, Tommy stopped. I don't know if he thought I had like hurt myself because I was yelling so much or if he knew. I pulled right up to him and I was just like, I did it Tommy, I did it. And then I hit him. I just started slapping him on the chest. I was just like, Tommy, I did it! I started hitting him. He was like, whoa, okay. I was so excited. That's the Hebrew term for rejoice greatly and shout. You're not saying words. You can't say words. There's nothing to say. You're just losing it. You're losing it. Like Sam does. <laughs> when he hits a jump on his mountain bike. Losing it and screaming and yelling. Why? Because the king is riding in. The king of promise. And what is he going to do? Well, first off, what is he? Who is he? He's righteous. He's a good king. 
He's going to take the side of the oppressed people. He's going to take the side of the poor. He's going to fight for them. He's their guy. He's righteous. He has salvation. And he's humble. He's coming. He's going to pull the prisoners out of the pits, out of the jailhouses. He's going to free those who are far off and draw them in. When Jesus rides, healing and life is in his, in his wings. He's not just jumping a hill. He's restoring all of life. When Jesus says, we were talking about this in Sunday school, when Jesus says in his text where he does write in, if you silence these people, the very rocks will cry out. It's because the king of the universe is riding in, and this is a big deal, and this is big news, and here he comes. We can't control it. We'd bust out in excitement. We'd bust out in joy because the one who's going to redeem us and relieve us is riding through the gates. He's riding in, and he's righteous, and he's good. I was uh, clearing um, trees after the hurricane that hit Florida. My family got hit almost directly, and my grandmother was dealing with dementia. My parents had to drive her out. And they drove her up to Pensacola where she would be safe. And she had to leave her house. And she had three massive oak trees in her backyard. And all three of them fell on her house. And they, they fell bad. There were deep gashes in the, in the roof. And so we're, I, I flew down. You guys um, sent me. Essentially, you gave me a week to go. And you may remember my first Sunday back, I gave probably the most raw sermon of my life. <laughs> so, I'm sorry if, I, if any of you felt like I was emotionally processing. I definitely was in that sermon. Um, and uh, I was down there, and I was working on her house. And I was up on her roof with a chainsaw. And this was the first time I'd ever really used a chainsaw. And I was getting it stuck. And I was cutting things I shouldn't have been cutting. And that, like, I almost killed myself by accident, which was like not good. And I still have a little bit of PTSD from the, the whole experience. Um, I was up on that roof, and I was trying to clean it. And my grandmother called. And my grandmother's mind was very much gone, and so she was saying very strange things. But she was feeling that she was not in her home. She couldn't be in her home. She was away. She was so disoriented. And she said to me, she said, Sam, we need a good man. What we need is a good man. A good man. And she said it four times. I think it's because she was dealing with dementia. And I was like, and she was saying that I was the good man that she needed. But I had just been at her house, guys. And you needed a crane to lift the trees off the top. And even if you could get the trees off the top, the inside was moldy and destroyed. Like, no man was going to bring my grandmother's house back to her. She was going to be homeless. She was going to have to move in with my parents. She was losing everything she had. She was like, I need a good man. When I think of Christ's ride into Jerusalem, here comes a good man. Here comes a good guy, a righteous guy, a guy who will take the side of the poor, a guy who will redeem the prisoners from the pits where they've been thrown, a guy who will repair your house and will take care of your kids and who will love you. This guy comes into town. He's a different guy. He's a guy we can put our hope in. And so the whole community comes out singing. We have to move a little more quickly. So we're going to get to this third part. Um, of this text. 
and deal with some of the strangeness. One of the things that's promised as our king rides in is that the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim peace to the nations. He talks about taking away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. That's a text that explains civil war is over. Ephraim was part of Israel. Jerusalem was part of Israel. They were brothers. They were fighting. No more. I'm calling that an end. And I'm uniting the people under my reign. They're coming with me. And so he ends war within his face. And then he's proclaiming peace to the nations. And all of the nations are to see this good God and come running to him and get to know him. And hear the truth of this good king. And get to hear the truth of God and, and see the uh, splendor of his reign in righteousness and in salvation. That's what, that's what, we have to, the, what he has come to do. But then you get verse 13, and it gets so funky. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. And I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. Greece? This is like, we're still dealing with Persia right now. We're not dealing with the Greeks yet. Uh, and make you like a warrior sword. This does not sound like peace getting launched out. This sounds like another attack. Like we're like bringing in and now we're moving out. We've united the, the, the community and now we're going out. And look in verse 14. Then the Lord will appear over them. And his arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. I love trumpets. Every time we get the Olympics and like the, 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 the trumpets, oh, oh, I love trumpets. But this is a war trumpet. The, sound, the sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet and he will march in the storms of the south, the whirlwinds, the tornadoes. And the Lord Almighty will shield them. And they will destroy and overcome the sling stones. The army is going back out. What is happening? The Lord is leading, the king is leading his forces back to the rest of the known world. They leave Jerusalem and they're going on the ride. But notice who's doing the fighting? Who's doing it all? It's the Lord that's sending his arrows, it's the Lord that's doing. Um, that's the, the whirlwind and the, uh, the, 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 uh, the arrow that will flash like lightning and the, mar the storms from the south. The Lord Almighty will shield them and they will, be, they will overcome or destroy the sling stones that are shot at them. As the forces advance and you got the, the defenders of the space shooting stones and arrows at them, they're not going to affect them. Because the Lord is defending them. The Lord is fighting this battle. The Lord is being victorious. He is sending his people out. And he's defending them from, their, from the onslaughts. He's going to Greece. Um, one of the big challenges that happens in Israeli history, and the, the history of the, this community, is that um, Hellenistic viewpoints, Greek viewpoints, Greek academies and way of life, becomes very enticing. And there's this constant pushback between the, the, the lifestyle of the Greeks and the lifestyle of the Jews. And there's all kinds of questions about whether you'll eat 
like them or not? And will, will you stay faithful to the Lord? And in one sense, what we're seeing here is the Lord saying, you guys are going to overcome. You're going to move with me. And I'm going to the world, to the farthest reaches. And there will be no viewpoint. There will be no ideology that will stand in our way. I am the one who's going to fight this battle. In the New Testament, um, there's all kinds of language about preparing yourselves for the battle, putting on the armor of God and wielding it. We are in a war, a war that we win through love, a war that we win through peace, a war that we win through showing the, the goodness of our Lord. And he leads the way. Think about like the Savior comes from the north. He comes to Jerusalem. He repairs and brings healing. Just like in Tolkien's, oh my goodness, Lord of the Rings, right? The king comes to Gondor. He brings healing and refreshment in Gondor. And then he says, let's go to the gates of Mordor. And let's take the battle to the enemy. And they ride out a unified, redeemed community. And they go to battle against the dark forces. And the Lord will defend them. And the Lord will fight back. And the Lord will win the victory for them. And they will experience his call, his life, his good news. And at the center is the king. The king who rides in. The king who receives the praises. The king who is loved by the people. The king who then is, is seen as the problem, hung on a cross, and put to death for the sins of a community, for the sins of the world. And he is three days in a tomb. And then he rises again. And what does he tell his people before his ascension? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And they go to the ends of the earth, declaring his good news. Brothers and sisters, what Christ has done for you in salvation is huge. It's huge. And then he says, now follow me. Let's go. Let's go bring the good news of the gospel, the good news of the king who is gentle, who loves, to the world. And the arrows of the enemy, the sling stones of the enemy will not tear you up. They will hear your love. They will see your life. And what will the people of God become? End of verse 16. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. At the end of this walk, at the end of this takeover, at the end of the proclamation of the good news, life and light and the jewels of the people will shine. We're walking to glory, brothers and sisters. Our king has come once. But as Laura read earlier, he's coming back on the whirlwind with the trumpet call, and he will call all of us to himself, and we will see him, and we will experience his life forever. Let's pray.